Well, hello, everybody. Would you help me thank our worship team for that worship set this morning? You know, I'm so grateful for their talents and gifts and how they use those to help us engage our God in deeper ways. So welcome to Epic. If you're new with us, my name's Trent, one of the pastors here. Whether you're new on campus or maybe new online, I'm so glad that you're with us, and I hope I get a chance to meet you after the service. If you're online, if you live local, love to meet you some way as well. And as we begin today, I want to tell you a little bit about my wife and I. And don't worry, I'm not going to tell you any mushy, gushy, romantic stories like Jake did several weeks ago. I won't do that. I can't quite reach his level of romance uh, in his relationship. So I want to introduce many of you to my wife. So that's my, there you go. There she is. I really am married. I really do have a wife. Here she is. So um, many people don't know that my wife, Tammy, leads our children's ministry. So often on Sunday, you won't see us together. And some people think that I'm just making up that I'm married. No, I really am married. This is Tammy. And again, she's in our children's ministry area most Sundays. So uh, this is is obviously my better half. And Tammy and I uh, met in college 33 years ago. And we have been married for 29 years. We have, yep, that's... You should celebrate her anytime you hear that, any length of time that she's been married to me. We have four children, and in two months, our youngest will be 18 years old. So we will have all adult children. That doesn't mean they all live on their own. That just means they're adult children. All right, so just make sure we know that. So we have uh, four uh, kids. We've got two amazing grandsons, and, and, and that's their dad right there. And we have two amazing son-in-laws. It's one of them right there, right there. So we've got this amazing family. And Tammy and I are a perfect match for each other. I mean, we're like puzzle pieces that just fit so perfectly together. And, and here's some examples of that. Number one, as you can look at this picture, you can tell Tammy is beautiful. And I'm bald. Okay? So that goes well together often. Tammy likes to color outside the lines. I like lines. Uh, Lines give me a sense of control. I know it's not real control, but it's just an illusion of control that I have when I color inside the lines. Tammy is fun and spontaneous. I'm kind of boring and routined. Uh, I kind of like my routines. I call Tammy a party in a body. So if you want to like create a party at whatever your event is, invite Tammy. The moment she comes in, she brings all the energy up, a a level of the party up to a a new spot in your party experience. So Tammy's a party in a body. I'm a boring person in a body. Like I have a body and I carry around with me in most places. But Tammy and I, our initials are TNT, thus some of the sparklers. And that makes us one dynamite couple. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thanks for staying engaged. Hopefully you'll be just as engaged at the end of the service. So we are a dynamite couple. And when we're working together, like nothing can stand in our way. There are moments that dynamite is used towards each other. 
There are moments that our relationship is a little bit challenging. It's a little bit painful. So here's an example of that. One time, Tammy and I were in one of those passionate discussions that married couples can have sometimes. Um, you might call them arguments. We call them passionate discussions. So we were in this passionate discussion, and uh, we were amping up our energy in the conversation, getting louder and more frustrated with each other and having difficulty resolving that. And we got into our cycle of chaos where, you know, like you have a pattern that you get into. If if you're married, you're in a committed relationship, a long-term committed relationship. You get into conflict. Often, you get into familiar patterns. So we got into familiar patterns and we were struggling to resolve it. I got frustrated. I walked outside and I sat in my truck. Why? I don't know, because that's a good place to, to, to calm down and, and find yourself again. So I'm sitting in my truck and unfortunately for me in that moment, God joined me in my truck. Now I love it when God joins me on most occasions, but in those moments, that's a little frustrating. So God slides in the truck with me and he says, hey Trent, what are you doing? I said, well, if you really want to know, I'm sitting here because I'm so frustrated right now with Tammy. We couldn't figure this out. And God, I really think I'm right on this one. So I'm waiting for her to come out here and resolve this with me. Thank you for your laughter. So God responded to my spirit and said, well, that's not going to work, Trent. You see, you're one of my followers, and because you're one of my followers, I've asked you to live differently when it comes to resolving conflict. So I need you to go back in there and resolve this. So I replied and said, God, that's not going to work for me this time. <laughs> you know, it, the, re- the reason is because I really think I'm right on this one. So, like, I'm holding out for her to come and resolve this with me. And God said again, Trent, that's not going to work again. You're one of my followers, and as one of my followers, I've called you to live different when it comes to resolving conflict. So that left me in a dilemma. What was I going to do? Was I going to swallow my pride and go talk to Tammy, or was I going to sit in my truck and possibly sleep in my truck all night waiting for Tammy to come talk to me? I will get back to that story in a few minutes because there's more to it and it ends very interestingly. But I tell you that not so I can show you another example of my issues, my marital issues. Again, we all know I have issues. But I tell you that because we're in part four of a series called Learn From Jesus. And in this series, we're trying to learn some of the core teachings of Jesus, some some of the basic things that Jesus said we needed to know as his followers or if we're going to be one of his followers. So this series that we're in right now is a part of a bigger series. So we started last month with a series called Walk with Jesus. And we started walking with Jesus from the start of his ministry. And we're going to walk all the way up to the start of the New Testament church. This will take us past Easter. So we walked with Jesus for that first section. And now we're going to learn from Jesus, again, learning the core teachings that he has for us. And then next week, we're going to start encountering Jesus. And we're going to look at five significant encounters that people had with Jesus. So in this series, we've been learning from Jesus. What are those core teachings that he offered us? Three weeks ago, Tim did a great job of helping us understand the very first thing 
that Jesus did when he started his ministry was to tell people, repent of your sins or turn from your sins and believe in him. So he went around telling everybody, hey, here's the thing that you need to do. You need to repent, turn away from your sin and believe in me. Then two weeks ago, Jake did a great job of helping us understand the great commandment. The great commandment is love God and love people. And Jake helped us understand that love pursues others. God's love pursues us, and we, as his followers, those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus, should pursue other people with God's love. Then last week, Jake helped us understand the great commission or the great mission that God has given all of his followers. And that mission is to go into all the world and tell everyone how to have a real, life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. So those are the first few core teachings of Jesus. And then Jesus went on to talk about a lot of other things for his followers to, to live by. And I'm gonna summarize uh, these other teachings in one bottom line statement. And we're going to come back to this statement over and over again today. So our bottom line thought for today is this. Following Jesus means we will live different. Following Jesus means we will live different. Now, to explore this bottom line thought, we're going to dive into the longest recorded sermon that we have of Jesus and the most famous, famous sermon around the world. It is known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. If you've got your Bible with you, uh, either paper Bible or Bible app, and you want to follow along, you can do that. Uh, but prior to this sermon, Jesus walked all around the countryside healing people and teaching people, and people were amazed by him. So there were often thousands of people wanting to be around Jesus. So Jesus leveraged those opportunities, and he spent time teaching them how to live in a real relationship with God and how to follow his example. Now, we could spend months studying the Sermon on the Mount, but today we're just going to hit some highlights of it. And if you're not familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, I encourage you to pick up one of our spiritual growth challenges before you leave today. And if you're watching online, there's a link in the comment section. I encourage you to get that and follow the Bible reading plan. It'll guide you through the Sermon on the Mount this week, and you'll learn a whole lot about what Jesus expects of his followers. Now, if you aren't a Christ follower, I recommend that you read it as well. And here's some things that you can benefit from when you do read it. You can find out what Jesus, 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 sorry, that was hard for me what Jesus expects of us as his followers. And if you're trying to figure out whether you should be a follower of Jesus, that information can help you decide that. You could see, you know, this is what Jesus expects of me if I'm gonna become one of his followers. And then again, you could decide whether you really wanna do that or not. And here's another benefit that could be kind of fun. If you're not a Christ follower and you spend time reading the Sermon on the Mount and, and maybe getting more familiar with parts of it, you could actually help your Christian friends, your Christian family members, your Christian coworkers learn to live a little bit more like Jesus. So imagine this conversation. 
You're at work and you, you hear some Christian friends having a conversation about how to live a little bit more like Jesus and you intersect yourself into the conversation and say, uh, you know, I was reading the Sermon on the Mount the other day and in Matthew chapter six, it seems like Jesus has a different idea than what you're talking about and what you think you should be doing. Just imagine how you would blow their minds if you spend a little time reading the Sermon on the Mount and use that to help them grow in their relationship with God. So there's a lot of benefit, I think, for all of us from reading the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount. Again, he's got thousands of people around him, and he starts in a very interesting way. He starts by confusing his audience. So listen to how he did that. In verse 3, he said, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. In verse 11, he said, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. And if that happens, be happy about it. Well, that sounds weird. Jesus says, you know what? Be very glad about it for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Now, again, there were thousands of people listening to Jesus that day. There were all kinds of different people that were around him. There were some religious leaders who were curious about Jesus, skeptical of him, and so they were there kind of checking him out. Uh, there were a lot of people that were on the poorer end of, of the economic scale. Jesus spent a lot of time out in the very poor rural parts of Israel, and he spent a lot of time healing and transforming lives there. So there were a lot of folks in his crowd that were in that poor section of their community. So imagine what they're thinking when they hear Jesus talking like this. I'm sure some of them thought, you know what, Jesus? Like, I don't think you understand how our world works. That's not how it works. God doesn't bless the poor. That's why we're poor. God hasn't blessed us. God doesn't bless those who mourn. That's why they're mourning, because God has allowed something to be taken away from them. God doesn't bless the humble. He blesses the proud, the arrogant. God doesn't bless those who hunger and thirst for justice. Jesus, don't you remember we live under Roman oppression and they could care less about justice? God doesn't bless those who are mocked and persecuted. We just get more mocking and persecution. So Jesus, you obviously haven't been watching the news lately. Like you don't know your culture and you don't know your audience. But get what Jesus was saying. He was saying God cares very deeply who are struggling. He cares very deeply for people when they're in moments of struggle. He cares very deeply when, when we're struggling financially or with loss or injustice or hatred or division or persecution. And, and I want to tell you today, if you're walking through some sort of struggle today, God cares very deeply for you and what's going on in that moment. And Jesus kind of says this to his audience at that moment. He says, you know what? If you're struggling, if you're struggling with persecution, you're struggling with injustice in some way or hatred, uh, somebody is taking something out on you that just isn't fair, here's how you should respond. 
You should blame others for your struggles. You should get offended at everything that has happened in your life. You should play the victim and seek revenge. Then you should share all of your problems on social media. (laughs) You know, you would think, and when we look around our world today, that's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, because there are a whole lot of Christ followers that follow that strategy. But that's not what Jesus said. Our world says that we should operate that way. But Jesus says, if you're going to be my follower, you need to live different. You need to live differently. You need to trust that God loves you. God has a great plan for you. You need to know that God will use any situation that you walk through for your good and his glory. So again, if we're going to follow Jesus, it means we have to live different. Then in verse 13, Jesus continues, and he says, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Now, as Christ followers, we often have different extreme reactions or extreme responses to what Jesus says here in this part of the Sermon on the Mount. There are some of us who want to hide our salt and hide our light. We really don't want want people to know that we are Christ followers. We don't really want to tell them or show them that. We hope our non-Christian friends find Jesus on their own, and we hope that Jesus fixes our crazy world without our involvement. There are a whole lot of Christ followers that engage our world like that today. There's another extreme. There are other Christ followers who aggressively share their faith without care or compassion, who argue with people on social media about our world falling apart and demand that people outside of our faith repent and turn to God. But Jesus said in verse 16, he said, in the same way, in the same way as salt preserving food or salt enhancing the flavor of food or the way that light provides light for people who walk in darkness in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. So Jesus said our good deeds would help people acknowledge and praise God. He didn't say hiding our faith would do that. He didn't say aggressively forcing our faith on other people would do that. He said the good things that we do for others would do that. So again, following Jesus means we will live different. In verse 21, Jesus said, you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. That seems a little extreme, doesn't it? If you call someone an idiot, which is like calling someone a fool, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. So the next time like you're flying up the interstate, but you're not going fast enough for the person behind you, and he puts his window down, and he cusses you out, just shout out your window. You're in danger of the fires of hell. (laughs) Maybe that'll slow him down a little bit. And if he asks you what church you attend, tell him Parkview or Life Coast. (laughs) Don't tell him Epic, okay? Just kidding. We love Parkview. We love Life Coast. So Jesus said that his followers need to handle anger differently. 
I don't know if that's challenging for you, but that's challenging for me. And it seems like it's challenging for many people in the world because anger seems to be the biggest emotion that's expressed today in almost any situation. So just out of curiosity, how many of you besides me struggle with anger? Okay, thank you for your honesty. So Jesus is very serious about how we handle our anger. Listen to how serious he is. In verse 23, he says, so if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice. So again, understand what Jesus is saying. He's saying that reconciliation with other people and broken relationships that we have is just as important as worshiping God. So let me go back and read what Jesus said again in a different way. So if you're at church and worshiping in a middle school cafeteria and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave church and go be reconciled to that person and then come back to church and worship your God. Does that that read a little differently? So here's the reality for some of you on campus and even some of you watching online. You don't need to be here right now. I know it's a weird thought, but this is probably the only time your pastor will ever tell you you have permission to just leave church in the middle of the service. But if you have a broken relationship right now, Jesus gives you full freedom to get up out of a service and go be reconciled. He said that is more important to him than staying and worshiping God. That's a big deal. That's a big statement. So if that convicts your heart right now, feel free. Feel free to walk out. Now, this could be weird, I understand. And maybe we'll have everybody look down so that you won't feel as weird walking out. Uh, Maybe if you're watching online, you need to turn off your, your computer, your TV. Why? Because resolving conflict is such a big deal to God. Such a big deal. He says, listen, you're going to have a hard time worshiping me if you have a broken relationship with somebody else. So resolve that or do the best that you can at resolving that. Now, we are not going to be able to resolve issues with everyone. It's not possible. But the Apostle Paul said in Romans 12, 18, he said, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. So we have to do everything that we can. That doesn't mean that we can make it work with everybody. There's some people who don't want to resolve conflict with us. And if so, that's their choice. But God expects that his followers do everything we can to resolve conflict, to lovingly speak and hear truth, to get outside help if we need that to resolve that conflict. Again, do everything we can to make that relationship work. It won't always be possible, but we should do our best. Again, following Jesus means we will live different even when it comes to handling anger and resolving conflict. Then from Matthew chapter 5, at the end of that chapter to the end of chapter 6, Jesus addresses a lot of subjects. And he says, listen, you need to live differently when it comes to marriage, when it comes to divorce, vows, revenge, loving your enemies, serving, prayer, fasting, how you handle your money, how you interact with possessions. 
And there's a whole lot in that chapter right there. And I encourage you to spend a little time reading that and find out, like, are you living differently? If you're a Christ follower, are you living differently in those areas of your life? Then in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus turns into a conversation that many people are familiar with in in our world. And this is interesting. Even people who never read the Bible before know this one verse is in the Bible, and they may quote it to you. So I think we all know this verse together. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, in one of the most misunderstood passages in Scripture, in verse 1, he says, do not judge others and you will not be judged. Has anybody ever heard that before? Yeah, that should be most of us. Number two, verse two, he says, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, well, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with a speck in your friend's eye. Now, again, too many people think that that verse means that what Jesus is saying, we should never confront anybody about anything. That's not what Jesus was saying. He was saying we should not sit in judgment over people, casting judgment over them based upon their lives. We shouldn't do that in any context, especially if we're not living the way that we should. So we shouldn't run around telling people how to live. We should show people how to live. But there's something else that Jesus was talking about here. He was talking about also Christian accountability, that it is very appropriate for us to hold each other as Christ followers accountable to our faith. But we don't have a responsibility to judge our world. We don't have the freedom to judge our world for not living like Jesus. We're we're supposed to hold each other accountable, help each other live different, live like Jesus. And again, we're not supposed to judge people outside of our faith for not living by our faith. So listen to what the Apostle Paul said about that in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9. He said, when I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. Now, what he was talking about here was he was talking about someone in that church in Corinth who was engaging, embracing a blatant sin against God. It's a sin that all of us here today would say, oh, that's creepy. Oh, yeah, yeah, no one should ever do that. That's the kind of thing that Paul was talking about in that moment. But listen to how he continues. In verse 10, he says, but I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin. And indulgence is a different thing than struggling with sin. Indulgence is an embrace of sin. It's an embrace of a, of a lifestyle that I'm going to choose to live this way. And I don't care what God thinks. I'm just going to live this way anyway. So he says, I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant that you are not to associate associate with anyone who claims to be a, a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. Verse 12, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. Verse 13, God will judge those on the outside, 
But as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. There's a whole lot in that passage right there. It would take another message or a series to, to really unpack that. But the bottom line is this. We aren't supposed to judge people outside our, of our faith, but we have a responsibility to hold other Christ followers accountable to our faith. So let that sink in for a moment. Let me tell you what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that this passage deputizes us as the God police. That we then now have the freedom to run around and tell everybody how to live, every other Christ follower how they're following short. That's not what that means. What Paul's talking about here, what Jesus is talking about is having loving confrontations with people that we are close to, other Christ followers that we are in close relationship with, maybe family members, maybe close friends, maybe people we serve with, maybe people we work with, maybe people that we're in a community group with. So it's in those contexts that when that person or another person gets off in their relationship with God, off track, we are supposed to care enough about them to go talk to them about that in a loving way and do the best that we can to help them get back on track with God. And guess what? When we get off track with God, those people have a responsibility to come do the same thing for us, to come to us and say like, hey, like, I want to talk to you about something that's going to feel a little bit awkward. It feels like you're a little bit off in your relationship with God. Can we talk about that? They're supposed to care enough about us to do that, and we are supposed to let them do that. So if you're a Christ follower, how are you doing at obeying that? Are you judging the world, expecting them to follow Jesus' teachings? Are you flippantly running around telling other Christians how they are falling short? Are you lovingly helping Christians who are close to you? Stay close to Jesus. Are you allowing other people to do that for you? Again, following Jesus means we will live different. Now, Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7 by saying, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it, is, because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. So Jesus ends his sermon by saying the foundation of our lives as Christ followers needs to be different than our world's foundation. Jesus says our world's foundation is like sand. And our world's foundation is based on our dreams, our goals, our desires, us doing whatever we wanna do, becoming whoever we wanna become. And Jesus says our foundation should be built on the rock the bedrock of God's desires, God's dreams, God's wishes for us in who we are and in what we do as his people. It needs to be built on Jesus' teachings. It needs to be built on, on the teachings of turning from our sin, 
needs to be built on belief in Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. It needs to be built on the great commandment of loving God and loving people and pursuing people to express that love. It needs to be built on going everywhere and telling everyone about Jesus. So if you're a Christ follower, is your life built on sand or is your life built on the rock of Jesus' teachings? In just a moment, our worship team is going to sing a final song for us, and we're going to engage that with them called Firm Foundation. And as we sing, I have a few more reflective questions for you. So if you're a Christ follower, are you living differently? Are you living differently? When you go to work, do you work differently? When you're online, do you engage the online world differently? When you decide to engage a, uh, an online discussion, do you post differently on social media? Do you love your enemies differently? Do you love people around you who like, may not like you and you may not love them either? But do you in- interact with them differently than the way that maybe your desires want to or maybe the way that the world encourages you to? Do you resolve conflict differently? Do you resolve conflict that you may be in differently? Let me take you back to my story at the beginning. So I'm sitting in my truck. God says, Trent, you're one of my followers. You got to go in there and resolve this. I've asked you to live differently. So after sitting there for a few more minutes, uh, realizing that God was not going to change his answer, no matter what I said, but, but she, but she, but she, he wouldn't listen to me. So I decided I would reluctantly go back in. If you've ever seen a kid who's been scolded by his parents and kind of walking down the street, kind of kicking a stone, I was kind of like that, walking back in to talk with Tammy. So I walk in and say, Tammy, I'm like, hey, we need to resolve this. And our energy level was way down. And Tammy reminded me, of something I said before our our conflict. And that thing changed the whole conversation. I totally forgot I said that. So I'm I'm like ready to kind of defend myself and argue a little bit more. And she goes, yeah, do you remember when you said that? I'm like, oh, I don't remember I said that. Wait a minute. I said that. Oh, our whole conflict was because I said that and forgot I said that? Like, yep. Like, oh. I had an opportunity in that moment to say, well, yeah, I didn't really mean that, or you know, I didn't really say it that way. You know, I could have avoided that. I could have dismissed that. But in that moment, I said, you know what? I got to live different. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I said that. This whole thing was my fault. <laughs> Man, that was hard. This whole thing was my fault. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? She did. And I'm so glad that we resolved that. Why? Because as followers of Jesus, he's called us to live different. So if you would, stand with me. Let's pray. Jesus, you've asked us as your followers to live different in our world. You've asked us to resolve conflict differently, to to work differently, to love differently differently. 
Lord, you've asked us because of our relationship with you to do almost everything differently than the way that we would want to or the way that our world asks us to or demands that we do. And Lord, that's challenging. It's hard to live different because I've got desires in my heart. I've got ways I want to react instead of respond. And yet if we're going to be your followers, we've got to follow you, Jesus. We've got to apply your teachings. So Lord, today, for some of us, we might feel a little bit of conviction that we haven't been living the way that we should. There might be a specific area of our lives where we say, you know what, I've been out of bounds in that area. I've got to fix that. I've got to change that. that maybe that secret thing that I think nobody knows about. Maybe that way I interact that everybody knows about. Maybe the way I'm engaging on social media. Maybe that unresolved conflict that I have in a relationship that I'm in. Lord, we, we all might feel some conviction today. That's a good thing. It's you, the Holy Spirit, kind of pricking our hearts and saying, hey, if you're going to be Christ followers, you've got to live different. So Lord, we're not perfect at that, and you know that. You know we're going to struggle. You know we're going to do well for a few days and fall and mess up. Lord, you're not as bothered by that because you want us to get up Take ownership of that and keep learning how to live differently. So Lord, teach us how to do that. Lord, for those who need to resolve conflict today, I pray that they would go do that, whether that's in the car on the way home or that's a phone call later today or that's a conversation this week. Lord, because resolving conflict is as important as worshiping you. When we... Apply your teachings, Jesus. It's like building our lives on a firm foundation. And Lord, we want our lives on that firm foundation because the storms of life are coming and we need to be prepared for those things. So we want our foundation to be you, Jesus. In Jesus' name.